You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is On Principle Challenges in Jewish Education, uh, a special edition, I would say. Uh, since uh, the Petira of Rav Moshe Delvetenler, Zechatzana Kodrocha, and to my uh, good, I would say, my honored colleague, I don't even know what I could call you, Rebzev, my former student, who is now, of course, the president of Gratz College in Philadelphia, Dr. Zev Elif. Um, Zev, I know that you uh, had the source to be with Rabbi Tenler. Why don't we start with what you my, recall? Uh, great. I, I had him for a veilist. Um, uh, for most of my smicha, uh, I was in uh, Rabbi Herschel Shachter's share. Um, but for Nida, I was with Rabbi Baruch Simon, and for Avelos, um, I remember exactly where I sat in Rabbi Tenler. She was the shortest of the units, uh, certainly compared to other sections of Yerodea. Um, most of it was uh, on Hilchos Avelos and all the Minhagim that attend to that. But I'll never forget uh, one day in which uh, he began class by talking about brain death. Um, and with anybody who was uninitiated was very quickly brought in to the raging machloket that still exists, um, but certainly within Rabbi Tendler's being and in his inner circle, his debate between uh, Rabbi J. David Bleich and himself on brain death. Uh, Rabbi Tendler, uh, based on death, uh, was death, and therefore one is able to remove vital organs. Uh, and Rabbi Bleich certainly thought not. And so it was a matter of life and death, quite literally. And they both uh, took it that way uh, and made, uh, um, insinuated what they thought about the other. Um, I think they respected one another as scholars, but the stakes were quite high. And this, of course, was not the first time they had debated. Um, even on the matter of TSAC screening. Uh, that was much before then, in the early 1970s, uh, Rabbi Bleich was one of the first to advocate for uh, TSAC screening. And uh, this is in the early 1970s, Rabbi Tenler thought nothing could be worse. The amount of psychological trauma that one could cause to a couple by breaking them up uh, if you found that they both were carriers of, uh, of this Ashken, predominantly Ashkenazic disease uh, was too much to bear. And he thought uh, better not to test at all. And students got involved in this matter. Uh, Yeshiva College president at the time was Hillel Davis, uh, then eventually became Rabbi Dr. Hillel Davis, vice president of Yeshiva University. All this is in the uh, Yeshiva College commentator, which is available, a database on its website. Um, uh, And they brought a screening to campus. Um, other issues, Rabbi Tendler. Well, let me ask you something, Zev. I mean, it looks like you were definitely waxing uh, um, nostalgic for those days. Did it seem well, odd? Around. What did, did did it seem odd to you that a teacher whose job was to teach you about Hilchas Avelis brought you into something that was obviously tangentially connected to Avelis? In other words, when 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 is death? So then for the... When the, do you have to sit the, for a yeah. when, is the, when, is, when do you have to start sitting? When, right? So it, it wasn't like he brought in something out of left field, but when he brought in something that you knew... But it wasn't center field either. 
Yes. Right. So did, did it seem strange that a teacher should, you know, bring in his personal issues with someone else who was employed by the school? I mean, they were both uh, on staff as, I guess, Roshi Yeshiva or whatever positions they call them, right? D did you find that a little bit unseemly that, you know, the teacher should sort of bring in um, and, and, and mention by name his, his adversary? Well, I wasn't part of the uninitiated. Um, I never had, uh, to be clear, I was not a close disciple of Rabbi Tendler. I didn't interact with him. By the time I was in yeshiva, um, uh, his wife was quite sick, eventually passed away. Uh, of course, Moshe Feinstein's daughter. Um, and um, Rabbi Tendler was very busy at the end of his life in Muncie. Um, he ran a community there. Um, and so I don't want to say he was absentee, heaven for offend, he was not, but he had many responsibilities. Um, and so I, I was hardly part of the, uh, the glory days of Rabbi Tendler's uh, impact on Yeshiva College. At one point in time, in the 50s, he was actually the associate dean, believe it or not, mm -hmm. of Yeshiva College. Sure. Um, so As think, he was younger than you are now, even, I think. <laughs> he was. Um, <laughs> it's um, rightfully so. Um, yeah. Rabbi Tendler, though, but, by but, reputation, but, but, okay, but, but, large so that bringing up this issue and the way he gave share, this is somebody who had a Yoridea in front of him, <clears throat> but didn't need a Yoridea in front of him. Um, this was a, um, this was Hilchos Avelos Lefi, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler. Um, <clears throat> this was not, um, this was, this was, uh, he reigned, he, he operated in the room. And uh, very often when he talked about, for example, Hever Kedisha practices, which are nowhere really, in Shulchan Aruch, um, he would relay exactly, you know, there were a lot of anecdotes about how it was done in Muncie, how it was done in other places as well. So this wasn't out of character with Rabbi Tendler, but I'm sure that the striding tones that he used probably caught some off guard. Um, I had, I wasn't saying I was looking forward or anticipating it, uh, but I remember it quite vividly. And and of course, as you said, uh, although you know, the literature is is really is readily available for anyone who, uh, with a decent uh, computer, could find loads and loads of information. Whether it's um, from you know in various journals, whether it's tradition or um, the uh, the RJJ journal um, or any. That's really know. important, right? Is that the debates between Rabbi Tenler and Rabbi Blech were written in English? widely acceptable and were also framed very often by uh, Fred Rosner and his very popular medical works. So the fact that you had two people who dominated a, a relatively interesting but sophisticated English language halachic genre um, really um, brought it to a certain level. Right. Uh, it, it was different than, let's say, a Machlekas leader of Moshe and the Satmarov and artificial insemination. You know, you had a. Right, uh, one had to read Hama Or, one had to be able to navigate through Igris Moshe. You mm -hmm. probably heard about their uh, deep debates. Um, also, also the map, there was a lot at stake with uh, that. It was uh, Mamzeris, essentially. Sure. So they also had much at stake about it. And actually, read uh, Ramosha, I think it's three chuvas on in vitro fertilization. And he's uncharacteristically impassioned by it, defensive about it. Um, well, again, the attacks were, were I think, um, 
bordering on vicious and, and sometimes outright silly. And oh, there were rumors uh, that they my, tried to bomb. Did he what? That there were rumors that uh, the the Satmer community uh, were trying to bomb yeah. MTJ. I mean, yeah. really. Actually, actually, if you read Rav Meisha's true, saying, and this is not really about Rav Meisha, but Rav Meisha really was unnerved and upset yeah. that 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 the debate was occurring in uh, Amzel's uh, periodical that you mentioned, Hamor. Um, he felt that something that any uh, any balabas could do- buy for a dollar uh, was not the place for Kadewa Yisrael uh, to argue about these essential issues. I think even the way he answered Rav Reich and, you know, from the, the Chalkas Yaakov um, and Rav Reich's responses back, you can see that there's, um, you know, an element of, 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 I guess, almost bemusement from Ramosha about the, uh, how, you know, how, how, how virulent the responses were. But, 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 but you're correct that this was something that you needed to you needed to be a a pretty well versed Talmud Chacham to to be holding in. And we well, had to re- be able to read rabbinic Hebrew. That's not right. Case in the uh, in the bioethical debates between Rabbi Tenler and Rabbi Blaich. Right. Al- although the subtleties of rabbinic reading still is what it came down to in many ways. Sure. Uh, yeah. But but you're right. It was it was there. It was out in the open and. Uh, I also find, you know, in my research that I did since Rabbi Tenler's death, I mean, I, I'd read this when I was a young man myself, even before I became your teacher back in the uh, mid '80s. Um, but there were some one, you know, a, a person like who I believe in many ways, uh, you know, is a giant in, in Jewish thought and in learning. Uh, Yitzhak Breidowitz, of course, wrote sure. uh, a, a, an article uh, summarizing all, all these opinions. So you not only had them debating, but you had great stars um, using their material and others uh, sure. like it to sort of like distill, as you say, something that was Oymid Barumash Oilam. And but, newspapers covered it, and the RCA voted in favor of Rabbi Tendler. Right, I mean, there was much ado over this. Yes, and the uh, in the state of Israel, of course, uh, the Rabbanut uh, through Rabbi Tendler's uh, recommendation and his insistence on Rav Moshe's opinion, Rav Shol Yisraeli and the other Rabbonim um, basically uh, agreed to the principles of brain death, signifying death to this allow was the first time. On a much lower level, certainly, uh, was Rabbi Tendler's encouragement to the Rabbanut to ban swordfish. Right. right. And this is, so right, Rabbi right. Tendler's ability to leverage science, he wasn't the first one, right? Science had already been very involved in the Chafke and other Kashrut agencies. Um, but Rabbi Tendler was a microbiologist trained at Columbia. And he was also a major forceful Talmud Chacham whose father-in-law happened to be the Pose Kador. And so his stature um, allowed for a certain gravitas. Uh, and he was not shy about weighing in on matters. And the swordfish was no small thing because it basically helped to delineate Kashrut standards between the Orthodox and the conservative. Right. It, yeah, right. And, and of course, his battle against uh, um all prepared fish like tuna and other things. This was something that was something that, uh, you know, showed him as a, as, as, as very, yeah. very principled. Point, at, at some point he embraced uh, the moniker of the Tana tuna. 
Right, I heard that from yes. I heard that from Rav Gedali Schwartz, the Chayin of Rocha. Rav Gedali Schwartz says this is what the other Rabbeim in <laughs> what the other Rabbeim referred to him as the Tana Tuna. Uh, but but Rav Zev, you know the, the I, I guess what I'm uh, getting at since you know you're now heading an institution, um, uh, you know this this idea of of two strong-willed figures. And maybe in, in Yeshiva University, they, at that time, they were already, their influence was waning and they, they're, they're in the Halls University. But it, it got me to speculate about, you know, two greats uh, in terms of personality, in terms of forcefulness, and yet they have very different shittas about how a student should conduct himself, what's important, uh, even if it's even a debate about uh, something in science, about a certain principle. And again, my area, of course, is the yeshiva world, the rabbinic world, the, the, the yeshiva welt. And, you know, um, as, as has been really, uh, as you know, from uh, Karlinsky's book and other places, uh, the debate between the Nitziv and the Beis Halevi, which sort of, you know, seemed to tear apart uh, the the, the uh, the crown of Lithu- Lithuanian yeshivas, Velozhin. Um, and, and, and one can see, of course, in their writings, uh, the distinct differences between them uh, yeah. in terms of what is important. In fact, I believe, and again, I, I said this to Rabbi Kopperman, almost uh, probably around uh, close to 40 years ago, um, that really there's so much in the Hamikdover that seems to be pointedly defending his derech and learning of like the introduction no less the kid must have is essentially a defense of right even even what in, in the Tama the shultas as well the idea of how to be medactic how uh how you have to moshe rabbeinu versus our own it, it's it really the two roshi sinhadros there's there's right, a, several a, times in Hamik that correct. Right, right. The, the whole idea that there's two ways to approach things, but ultimately Moshe Rabbeinu's derech, which read my derech, is is the right one. The right. derech of the derech of of being medactic in the in the in the uh, how the nuances of the pasuk, as opposed to our own, who's into harifus in terms of connection, in terms of being able to sometimes he could run his own Sanhedrin. But ultimately, of course, our own is Kofuf to Moshe. So uh, all of that indicated to me, and, and we know from Karlinsky's book that it was the Nitziv pushing his own agenda on a Rosh Hashanah uh, uh, Dvar Torah that he gave before Tkia Shofar that really uh, was the incendiary bomb that caused the yeshiva to really finally split into two factions. Now, again, maybe this is an anachronism. Uh, do you, can can a school of higher learning. We know we want dynamism. We don't want just clones. We don't want everybody. We don't want every professor to to be exactly the same. We want uh, our students to have a uh, a panorama uh, uh, of choices. But when you do have things, when when it sometimes gets personal, and when the their sharp differences mean this one against that one, I'm sure it's happened in academia. That's why what, there are so many yeshivas. Um, <laughs> so, so that's what could that's one thing that could happen is that the yeshiva breaks apart but isn't 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 the battle itself i mean look you know let's talk about if, if you want to go back to the talmud we can only just speculate because we don't really know what things were like there but we know of course that rabba and rabbi yosef were very different and we know Certainly. that right the, the, gemara, the gemara call right one is okar harem and one is sinai and yet we know 
that, so it's clear that the shear that one would give would be a different type of shear than the other. And, and they were competitors, they were rivals. Who's right? going to be the Rosh Hashiva? Right, and, and, and Rabbi Yosef realized he let Rabba become the Rosh Hashiva despite what the Psak from Eretz Yisrael was, that Akol And the Gemara praises Rabbi Yosef for his humility and, you know, and still coming to the shear, etc. That, but of course, that's unusual. We know that Rav Huna and Rav Chista, for example, Rav Chista couldn't be soivel Rav Huna anymore because he, he was so, you know, and, and there was, he probably took guys with him, you know, as you said. But, 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 but while, the, you know, it doesn't have to be the heads of the yeshiva. It, it, it could be two Magide Shir that are, I can tell you, in, when I was in Nair Yisrael, for example, if you want me to tell you about Nair Yisrael, sure. which, which perhaps you know, is an area that you'll write a monograph on one day. And perhaps when I'm in my nursing home, you'll come to me and, and get some information from me. But, <laughs> but, what, but over there, when I first got there, there was a, uh, the best minds in the base Medrash were being lured by either Rav Weinberg or Rav Kalevsky. And there was a sense that Rav Weinberg was not really, to the Rav Kalevskyites, he was not really a step above that his intellectualism and his way of formulating ideas was smoke and mirrors compared to Rafkolevsky's very solid meat and potatoes lumdus, that Rafkolevsky was more connected to the greatness of what Europe was, and Rav Weinberg right. was much more of a maverick thinker on his own. And there was... It's, 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 and we know from Chaim Potok in his novels, for example, the same rivalry, at least to the perception of the students, existed between... Uh, Heschel and Lieberman at the seminary and uh, Rubendel Zaks and the Rub uh, at Yeshiva. Um, right. And then, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack just a moment uh, to your, uh, to the Nitziv example, right? And his uh, Din Torah with the Beis HaLevi, of course, um, after the Nitziv wins, uh, the Beis HaLevi doesn't return, but his son returns. Well, he stayed a couple of years until right. he couldn't be. Correct. Until he... Before I read it in print from Rabbi Shechter, because we had just learned an essay in the, uh, in the Shiltos, in, in, uh, uh, in the Nitzvah's commentary on the Shiltos, and, and it was it was towards the end, an essay on, on the Shechianu, Bracha. And it was very lumbus. It, it was almost like a brisker learning. So Rabbi Shechter, uh, I think it's at the end of a chapter on the Nitziv, not on Reb Chaim. They're two different. Reb Chaim Salvechik, of course, was the son of the of Yosef Dov Salvechik, the Beis Halevi, in which uh, the rivalry persisted, and many of the Reb Chaimites, in fact, most of the yeshiva, Reb Zevin has it, boycotted the Nitziv Shir. And as a response, Reb Chaim, who also uh, deplored Machloket. Um, he said, fine, if you're going to stop going to the Tziv share, I'll give, I'll stop giving share. I'll also desist. In which they rallied around him and they uh, they said, please. Uh, they persisted and they asked uh, Rebchaim to resume giving share. So he said, fine, I will. And so he gave apparently a knockout share. Rebchaim always like to say a knockout share. Gave a knockout share and um, the boys were mystified. It was even better than we remembered it. They said to Reb Chaim, he said, you know why it's so good? It's from Hamak Shela. So Reb Shachter said, I think it's this essay that Reb Zevin's talking about. Um, 
So there is a, um, in our tradition, there is sort of a romance of dueling centers while at the same time coming together uh, in Olam Hazan, not just Olam Haba. Um, but you're right, certainly with Hasidic dynasties, that's the case within the uh, Musa Yeshivas, certainly at Slobodka, that was the case, um, in which you had very powerful personalities, uh, which even are in our own time, I mean, every so Rav often. Huttner, Rav Huttner and Avigdor Miller in Chaim Berlin as well was, uh, wasn't, was also. Shana Faiva and Lamalach at Torah Vidas, um, uh, at the Hebrew Theological College, maybe every decade or so. Um, <laughs> well, especially when the Hebrew Theological College was actually a theological college, right? When you had people like uh, Leizer Berkowitz and others there, um, you know, there there clearly was that's you know you, that schism was was on the table. Um, uh, and, and there you actually have like this chiluk between you know Torah versus, I guess, um, philosophy of Torah. Um, Eliezer Berkowitz was brought in. He moved from Boston to Chicago in the late 1950s because it was his sworn mission. He had promised the Sudan Asian, Chayak Weinberg, that he would migrate the Hildesheimer Yeshiva, the great rabbinical school in Berlin, to the United States. And he he thought that Providence had brought him. So he thought he could turn Chicago into Hildesheimer Seminary. Exactly right. And so um, that's where he was coming from. All right. Now, both of us, of course, are um, uh, alumni in many ways of teaching at that uh, august institution. It's and, a wonderful yeshiva. Yeah. Right. right. But, but, but it's, 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 I, I can't help but be amused by Eliezer Berkowitz's uh, Havamina, you know, that he was going to take this uh, place in the Midwest, which had, uh, you know, Saul Silber and others had done work. Well, he had before. passed on in the 40s, but I know what I'm saying is that it had a history of 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 scholarship uh, that you could point to in a certain way. But um, sure. but, uh, you know, yeah, Waxman was there. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. And he did. You know, there was and Yehuda Rosenthal taught there as well, I believe. Um, that was Dr. Mishkin's brother-in-law, Dr. Mishkin himself. Who, uh, I, I had this host to, to teach, to learn. But there, I think th- there was the battle, I don't think was ever real to the point that there were students who felt the main thing is the is, 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 is the Chochmas Yisrael versus the learning. I think in Skokie, what we eventually call Skokie Yeshiva, the way I remember it anyway, from what I know from its history, is that, um, you know, the, the rabbis, it, it was either a rabbinical uh, smicha factory, right? And then they were mostly involved in getting getting their rabbinical training. Um, in the 60s, the Yeshiva grew exponentially, of course, with the Vietnam War. You know of that, about that, of course. Well, with, every Yeshiva did. <laughs> right, but Skokie Yeshiva had, a, had an explosion of, of, of growth. So, uh, so, so did BMG, so did Yeshiva right. University. Right, I understand. And it was that, it was that period that you had the, um, yeah. you know, you, enough that you would, there were people who were coming to the Yeshiva who might say, I'm not just here to avoid the draft, but I go with the Berkowitz uh, mentality versus the uh, Zimmerman or Salvatric mentality. But, you know, so, so, you know, so clearly people like yourself now who are in administration, they have to be careful really sometimes about how they put together a homogeneous staff. Do you, well, right? I, I, would, I, would, I would disagree. I would disagree not because that culture shouldn't exist or should exist, but I think that in 
academic research, but also in the Olam HaYeshivas. Um, that level of Mechamta Shel Torah, of debate over method and substance and form of learning, uh, it doesn't happen as much anymore. And that's because scholars have become, you know, we talk about um, on-demand and uh, self-indulgent uh, American consumerism. I think the same thing is true among the intellectual elites, where what I mean to say is that we are only concerned, or they only, as strong, we are very much concerned with our particular and personal research agenda. I am writing an asylum. I write my scholarship for me and me alone. Thank goodness that my university, that my yeshiva, whatever institution, my synagogue, um, is supporting me in my research and my sense, I don't know how you would go about proving this. I guess it would be some analytics to do with footnotes and citations. But I feel as, um, as an American Jewish historian, I am an American, I am Jewish, and I am a historian, but I also study American Judaism, um, that our field sometimes, not all the time, we um, aren't writing together. We have our research agendas, and that's what we are interested in pursuing. That's quite fine. Um, but my, one of my teachers at YU, uh, Jeffrey Gurak, Jeffrey Gurak. Um, wrote a terrific uh, editorial book volume called Conversations with Colleagues, in which an earlier generation of American Jewish historians were writing with, and again, sometimes against, uh, with one another. Um, and they were in conversation. And I think that uh, the Nitziv, while um, you know, Nitziv, and Reb Chaim were in conversation with one another. They didn't write very often. Famously, briskers don't write in their lifetimes. Posthumously, they're voluminous. Um, but they were in the in the study hall and in wherever they gave shear. They were in conversation with one another. And oh, no, well, they, okay, and, you know, again, just to put the record straight. I mean, I. <laughs> now, having done a lot of reading about uh, the Nitziv and and, sure. and, and, and Rechaim, um, they loved each other. I mean, yeah, the, I the, the, the Nitziv called him his Edim because, as you know, uh, he married Rafo Shapiro's daughter. Yes. And Rafo Shapiro's uh, uh, wife, the Nitziv's daughter, died young. And the Nitziv's daughter, his granddaughter, was raised by the Nitziv and mm-hmm. his first and then oh, yeah, his, I don't, I don't mean his to second say wife. No, no. My, my point is he called him Edim. And, 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 and they, they, the Nitziv knew about Rav Chaim's, um, I, I think he learned already from Rav Chaim's father uh, that his style was not for everyone. And he knew that the, that the brilliance and the analytic, whether it wasn't yet necessarily what it became in brisk yet, but he knew that it was hard for his sheet to, to have the greatest draw. Um, and and, and I, I, I really believe that, um, although I- It is to say that whereas Derech Halimud was a debated thing in the yeshivas, in the academies, so to speak, and call it Derech Halimud there, um, I think now we are overwhelmed by our own research agendas and we're not in conversation with one another any longer. And so the, these debates don't happen so much because we're interested in our own and um, it's not so, selfish. It's just um, hyper hyper specialization, which is occurring. Almost, yeah, right? I think that's happening. I think that's happening with um, with, with uh, in doctoral research. It's happening in medicine. 
Certainly. Yeah, this is as I'm casting as wide net as possible. I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that um, modernity is creating specialization. So uh, even so, though there's, there might be people who will take umbrance to some of your suppositions, but they aren't going to be on the faculty of the university that you're dealing with, in other words, right? Well, nobody, and nobody, if, nobody, I don't think anybody's so angry with me. No, no, but, but you know what I'm saying. In other yeah. words, I, when the body it's not gonna of rise, it's not going to rise to that level. When the body of knowledge was contained, sort of like a Renaissance thinker, so everybody knew a little bit about everything. So you could have, you know, debates uh, where everybody could could weigh in, but okay, uh, you know, but but as you say, when the areas become super specialized, the other teachers aren't really don't really care that much. It's a and conversation of one. So in other words, the era of the bar plugta is over, which. I think is sad in some ways for the student, right? Because it's like the student enters your world, let's say you'd be a professor, and the student really isn't necessarily going to get the yin and the yang. It, it, there might be another, um, uh, another subject where he's exposed to a different style of teaching, but he's not going to get the yin and yang of the same subject uh, or the same ideas or similar points being presented starkly different. And there, I think there's something to be gained by that. You know, there's, uh, you know, the, although uh, there's, we, we, we expect American students, especially uh, not to be so, you know, to be, to, to go places, um, to be able to, uh, uh, you know, gain from one another. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's sad in some ways. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I went to SAR, um, I was a, it was a Chiddush that I was on staff there. Um, the, uh, you know, my background was different. Uh, my approach was different. And the reason why I was there was to really, they felt that that was an, an advantage, that they wanted kids at that mm -hmm. school who were, you know, from you know, the northern suburbs of, of New York and uh, from Teaneck and Englewood and other places, they wanted them to hear uh, someone who had studied under of Chaim Shmulevitz, who, who, had, who had been learning yeah. on Ramesha Heinemann, who was able to tell them uh, something that he had heard from Ramnachan Partsovich, um, and, and as opposed to, you know, f straight down the line from the Hester Yeshivas or from Ramaran Lichtenstein. So I think the... Um, yeah, I, I think when um, there's an essay uh, authored by Rabbi Emanuel Jacobovitz, the chief rabbi of England, and he quotes Rabbi Menachem Kasher, right, the Torah Shlema, um, who I've never seen it in Rav Kasher's own writing, but uh, certainly uh, uh, Emanuel Jacobovitz has an on this. That Rabbi Kasher lamented that if you take a look, if you take stock and inventory of Torah geniuses, in the United States particularly, because that's where Rabbi Kasher was, um, you'll see that they didn't come from institutions. Kachaya, Rabbi Soloveitchik never lived uh, in a dormitory. He never uh, boarded and attended a yeshiva, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, the the Satmar Rav had a Malamid. Um, Ravar Cutler was identified at a very young age. He attended Slobodka, sure. But nobody, I think, would suggest that Ravar Cutler was a product of Slobodka. Uh, Ryak Kamenetsky is much more a product of Slobodka, for instance. And, and Ryak Kamenetsky also. Um, when we, so Rabbi Kasher's point is that brilliance, this type of these towering figures, 
they they don't come from the machinery of the study halls of the Bate Medrash. And maybe maybe that's also another reason uh, why we're missing why this era of the Bar Plukta is over. Because everybody today is the product. I'm talking about in the rabbinical world, in the Orthodox rabbinical world. Everyone is the product of Yeshiva. And that 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 normalization of, of intellectual thought, Rabbi Kasher thought, and uh, Rabbi Jacobovitz quoted him as being part and parcel of why we're not seeing that bursts of creativity that would lead to, again, a reemergence of dueling centers. What do you think about that? I'm interviewing you now. Yeah, okay, that's good. I, I don't mind being interviewed. I uh, First of all, let me just tell you that the Menachem Kasher to me is the Uber editor of Torah Shlema, but is was guilty of, okay. of of not assigning credit where credit was due to all the many many rabbonim and tamid who worked under him, and he got all he was very happy to get all the praise. You know, he was very happy. He was very happy to get the the, the Israel Prize Awards and everything else. And the truth is, I guess once you pay for something, you have a right to say I wrote it, but. Good. All right. Point so, taken. So, but, so, but my, so, so, so my, my point is, is that, you know, you know he, he's someone who is, you know, uh, uh, he's very sharp and I like him. And, and I, I, the Divrei Menachem, I think, is, is, is mostly original um, stuff. Uh, the essays, uh, as we know, uh, you know, are, are not. But I, I think you're Look, obviously the Rav is the Rav without a Yishis. He's, he's already the Iwi from Chaslovich. You know, he's the Iwi uh, studying the Minchas Chinuch under the covers uh, already. Sure. And, and with the Malamed. When you have minds, as you know, look, Zev, you are a teacher. I am a teacher. We know that the great minds really don't even need the schooling and the box, right? Uh, the box schooling is really uh, for the, the ones who need discipline, for the ones who need chaverim and for the ones who can't get the information unless there's this competition and people around them and there's a formal way that there's tested and, and this way they could somehow achieve. The, the ones that are these special souls, schooling is sort of, it's, it's terrible for them, right? Schooling is really a way to, to dissuade them and to, and to get them turned off from, from, from developing because they're being forced to do a certain thing, to do a certain sort of limud, to learn in a certain, certain pace, um, to, to not even be able to burst the bonds between Rebbe and Talmud that you sometimes need. I mean, the reason why we have people like Rav Yirmi and Rav Zera who are Rebbe and Talmud, but then, or Abaya and Rab and Rabbi Yosef, yes, Rebbe, Mar, but more often than not, they are arguing with each other. They're at each other's, not each other's throats, but they, they're able to, to sort of like um, shatter the lectern and and and, and distance between each okay. other. And, I, and, think and, that, and I, I think that it's not that those people are always averse to institutionalized learning, but also there's the middle ground of people who might have been that way. The Yachid Bidaro claim, I agree with you, but Rabbi Kasha's point of you don't have to be, you have to rise to that level to be a microcosm of the phenomena that you and I have been speaking about, right? The ability to hinder that through... Put it this way, schooling and it being successful at school uh, causes you to uh, blunt your sharp edges. In order for you to succeed, you basically uh, uh, you, you absorb 
and accumulate. And in many ways, you want to be similar to the ones uh, that are around you. And I think in that way, uh, you get a uniformity of thought as well. So I, I think the point is, is, is correct. I, it would be interesting to test this. These larger-than-life personalities in all these yeshivas, um, you know, let's talk about their backgrounds and where they came from. I don't know if that's going to be true about Rashmul Rizovsky and others who, who were, were, were master teachers, but there's definitely, uh, it definitely is worthwhile, I think, uh, exploring. Uh, Another episode. I, 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 well, what I would say is, is that, you know, it's almost, it's like, like, like Fukuyama said, you know, is, is this the end of yeshivas the way we used to know them? Are we just going to just tell the story about it? Are we going to have, I mean, put it this way, whether it's Gratz College or, or, or Hebrew Theological College, things have become so splintered and so boutique-like that's the idea of students being wrapped up in a, an environment that's, that's tumbling. I don't know. Are we ever going to go back to an era like that? Um, you know, it's, it's it, part of the reason why, you know, Rav, Rav Ruderman was once asked, what's the biggest Yetzirah he has? And he said, the biggest Yetzirah is a Yinga Talmud Chacham, a Yinga Balkishran. When you have a young Balkishran that, 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 that is, is not yet, uh, doesn't have a storehouse of knowledge, but can pick things up quickly, and you can interact with them, and there could be this dynamism and, and of learning, of back and forth. That's the great, the greatest Yetzirah that our Rosh Hashiva and Amagadjir has. I, 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 so I, I don't know if those Yetzirahs are, are, are happening. Whether it's going to be, like you say, 15 Rosh Hashivas in YU, I don't know how many there are, 15, 20, 25, I don't know exactly. Um, people zeroing in on Smicha alone. I don't know if, if, if there's going to be, but from what I observe, working, uh, knowing about Yeshivas, going, look, I work for arts as well. So I, I, I go and I check, both of us are extolling a glory that perhaps um is is drifting away and i guess needs people like you to to recount in order for people to be able to still you know read those stories the way they uh, in the best in the best way possible so we started with rabbi tendler um i i suppose that we should uh at least i i get the impression from you Rebzev, that um that one thing that i think he put a premium on was that it isn't just the information. It's also, it's the geschmack, the panache that he brought to it. Um, and, 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 and in many ways, that's also something that I guess we should, we should, uh, I don't know, yeah. aspire to, even if we're in our ultra specialization mode, but to be excited about it, to, uh, to bring it to life, uh, to be able to, to challenge people on that and i think uh i think rabbi tender was 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 you tell me you're the one who sat and shared with him right um i think that's fair no i think that's fair i think you're right on point that that and, and that i think is you walk out of this year with with knowing that your mind has gone a place that it wasn't before that it, 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 and it's not just i have new information that i didn't know but i thought about something in a way uh, that was 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 different and in that way look in that way i guess you know we we will be able to um you know uh as as uh what did the you know like, like as the originers said you know we can't 
replicate the pu'ulis the Baal Shem Tov did. Um, we don't even know the place where he did it, uh, but we can tell the story that it was done. And in that way, you know, we are keeping some embers, embers alive of, of those lions. Uh, take care, Zev. We're going to catch you next time, okay? On, on principle. Be well. Thanks a lot, Zev. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.